Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So for the last couple weeks, of course, we've been going through the book of Proverbs in a series that we're calling The Path. Now, we've seen the truth for, the, of course, the last couple weeks that your direction determines your destination. Your direction determines your destination. The direction you walk determines where you end up. And this is an obvious truth. No one is shocked by that truth. We know it all the time. I remember several years ago, <coughs> there was a big snowstorm, and a friend <coughs> invited me in April to go hiking. And we were stupid and said, sure. <coughs> and he said, hey, let's go up to uh, McAfee's Knob. So we go hiking up McAfee's Knob, and it's like a 10-mile hike both ways. Uh, in the snow, uh, it's cold, our feet are frozen. April slipped once and busted her, her hind parts and had a big bruise everywhere, and it was, it was rough, and it was time. We got down, and we're like, that was the dumbest thing we've ever done in our lives. Why would we do that? And I remember a couple of days later, I was reading an article in the Roanoke Times, and they were talking about this half-mile path that you can park at a parking lot and walk up to McAfee's Knob, and it's just a half a mile. And I'm like, why did we take the wrong path? Why did we take the 10-mile journey when we could have walked a half a mile and seen the exact same view? But the path we take determines where we end up. And so paths have destinations, and we all know that. So how come so many of us have chosen paths that end up at destinations that we regret. And let's be honest here, because look, this is church, and if we can't be honest in church, then we're in trouble. Every one of us here have a few detours in life that we wish we hadn't have made. We had a, a point in our life where we, we had a choice to make, and we chose a path, and it ended poorly. And if we could, we'd go back and tell our younger self, hey, don't take that path, take this one. Because you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, But time machines don't exist. So we know that because if we did, I'd go back and tell my younger self, dude, start jogging. But we can't do that. We have to live with the decisions that we make. We have to live with the paths that we choose. But why do we do that? We know logically that paths have destinations, even if we can't see what those destinations are as we start out. But we, we still start down paths that take us to destinations we don't want to go to. They take us to destinations that we regret. Are we dumb? Of course not. Well, not all the time. Sometimes we make dumb decisions on the path that we choose, especially when we're younger Usually when we're young, we make dumb past decisions, but you would think that the older we got, the more experience we had, we would grow out of the propensity of making stupid decisions, but we don't. Is the problem a lack of information? Is it a lack of insight? No, it's, it's something else. It's something 
that we never outgrow. Our problem, the reason that we so often choose the wrong path, is that we don't pursue truth. We don't wake up in the morning with a burning desire to know what's true, to know what's honorable, to know what God wants us to do. We are in pursuit of happiness. We want to be happy. All of us do. We want what makes us feel good, what makes us feel happy about ourselves. And our pursuit of happiness often trumps the pursuit of what is true. And I know some of you don't think I'm talking about you, but I am. Every one of us have the habit of pursuing happiness over truth. Let me prove it to you. How many of y'all here are Starbucks drinkers, regular Starbucks drinkers? See, there you go. Starbucks is the 121st biggest company in America, and they sell coffee, and not good coffee. Let's just be honest. Their coffee is pretty bad. I can make a better cup at home, not with our current coffee maker. We need another one. It's Some mornings it's water. Some mornings it's tar. Some mornings it's good. So it's like every morning it's like playing the lottery. What coffee do we get today? And so, but it's still, even when it's tar, it's better than Starbucks. Mainly because I didn't pay six bucks for it. But they are one of the largest companies in America. And, but millions buy five, six, eight dollar soy lattes from them every single day. Why? Because they got to have it? No. Because it makes them happy. Makes them feel good about themselves. There are people, I was reading a story, an article about this. There are some people that spend from $100 to $250 a month at Starbucks. One person. You know what I could do with $250 a month? You know what our missions department could do with $250 a month? With all the needs in the world, why are we spending hundreds of dollars a month at a coffee house? Because it makes us happy. Makes us feel good. We like people to see us with that green and white cup and a little lady on it. Makes us out. We're, we're, we're better than the Dunkin' Donuts people. Look, Dunkin' Donuts coffee is good coffee. And you get a good donut there, amen? You can't get that at Starbucks. So we, we feel good about ourselves. Now, if you've got a closet, many of us, we have closets full of perfectly good clothes. But we, we like going shopping and buying new clothes. New clothes make us happy, make us feel good. Look at this new outfit I got on. Look at this new shirt. Look at these new shoes. You know, April, all that, she loves buying new purses. We have a box full of purses under our bed. She doesn't need a purse. The truth is she's got enough purses to last the entire church for a while. But it makes her happy. She likes to have new purses. We like to have new shoes. I like, I like new tools. Do I need a new orbital sander? No, but I want one. Makes me feel good. Makes me happy. I can do so much with it. I'll build furniture with it. No, I won't. But it makes me feel good. We pursue happiness over truth. You know why so many of us, myself included, get a new phone every year, every two years? Because our, our two-year-old phone is terrible and gets no reception and it's no. It's because we want that new one. Something, there's a new phone out that's faster than mine and bigger than mine and slimmer than mine and prettier than mine and everyone's got it, i got to have it too. So we trade in our, our old phone that's not that old, pay a huge fee to get a new phone that we didn't really need. Why? 
because we wanted to have the new phone because it made us happy. Each day, we don't get up and pursue truth. We get up and pursue happiness. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. God wants us to be happy. I'm not saying God wants us miserable. God wants you in in terrible clothes, drinking terrible coffee with an old Nokia flip phone. No. God wants us happy. And so God wants us to to make the right decisions that will make us happy eventually. The problem is the paths that God wants us to make take make us happy later, and we choose the path that makes us happy now. How many of y'all enjoy exercising? I mean, you honestly enjoy it. All right, you've got a couple insane people here. I enjoy exercising after I'm done. I feel good about myself. I do it, I'm like, I went to the gym today, oh, I'm awesome. I'm walking around, oh, yeah, I lifted some weights today. It makes me feel good about myself. I feel I have more energy. I feel healthier. While I'm doing it, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I killing myself anyway? But I do enjoy exercising. I like it. But you know what I like more? Burritos. Man, burritos are good. So I can choose the path of exercising every day and eating right every day. And you know what? One day when I'm an older man, well, I'm already old, but older, and I'm healthy, and I'm not on medication, and I'm, you know, some of these old, because I see them at the gym, these old guys, I'm like, they're like 70, and they're like in better shape than me, lapping me on the, on the thing and swimming 100 laps. I'm like, if I choose the right path, I could be that guy one day. Or I could choose the burrito path and be happy now. Now, the burrito path makes me happy now, but I'm not going to be happy later. Why? Because of all the health problems. And I know this. The thing is, I know it. I know if I choose exercise, I'll, live, I'll be happier and healthier later. If I choose burrito, I'll be happier now and unhealthier later. Come here, Taco Bell. It just makes no sense. We know it, but we don't do it. Because we choose happiness over truth. The problem with pursuing happiness is it gives you happiness now, but it doesn't guarantee happiness later. Usually the decisions that fill me with happiness today will fill me with regret tomorrow. The thing I pursue with reckless abandon today will be the very thing I'm trying to escape tomorrow. Too many people, they, they carry credit card debts they don't, and they don't even remember what they use those credit cards to buy. They sit the fork in the path. They could have chose happiness today and buy that thing I can't afford right now and pay for it later, pay more for it than I should later. Or I can say no and I'll choose happiness later when I can go back and if I really want it or really need it, I'll pay cash for it and then it's actually mine. But they chose the path of happiness today and they bought the thing they couldn't afford and oftentimes we don't even remember where it is. Too many of us will, will, will go on into debt, will spend credit to buy something that we don't really truly need, but it makes us happy, and then two years later it's in a yard sale and we're selling it for five bucks. Why? Because it stopped making us happy. But we're still paying for it. We chose happiness now instead of happiness later. Spending's just one area. We eat because it makes us happy. Then one day we look in the mirror and we're no longer happy. Every area of our life has a time where we stood in the fork in the path and we, choose, we can choose happiness now or happiness later. 
So why do we have to have our way now instead of waiting to really have happiness and joy later? Why do we knowingly choose paths that take us where we've already decided we don't want to go? Because we lie to ourselves. We are great at lying to ourselves. We stand at a fork where we can be happy, where we can be prudent, and we become a car salesman. We begin to sell in ourselves on what we want instead of what we should do. We listen to ourselves until we believe our own lies, and then we opt for happiness. We are great at justifying our decisions to ourselves. We listen to our hearts and we try to just and we make our minds justify our decision. And that's the huge mistake because our hearts will always lead us down the wrong path. Look what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our habits of defending our happiness decisions with justifications that aren't set up in truth, they set us up for trouble. We come at forks in the path, and we can't have it both ways. We, we can either have prudence that ends in happiness later, or we can have happiness now that ends in difficult times later. And if we keep lying to ourselves, if we keep following our hearts, it is impossible to end up where we want to be. You will never get to where you want to be if you don't know where you are to begin with. When we, lie, when we lie to ourselves, we are blinding ourselves to our true location. To find the right path, you have to stop trusting your heart. You have to stop lying to yourselves. And that's what Solomon gets to in Proverbs chapter 3. We lie to ourselves because we trust our heart, and our heart lies to us. So look in Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse number 5, of course, very popular verse of scripture. Probably all of us have heard it at one time or another. <clears throat> Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Solomon says, Trust God with your heart. Jeremiah says, Don't trust your own heart, because the heart, every heart, your heart, my heart, every heart is deceitful, and there's no cure for it. Now, there's a difference between dishonest and deceitful. Dishonest people lie, and they can't be trusted. Deceitful people go out of their way to trick you, to confuse you. Make you think you're making a right decision when you're really making a wrong decision. So the heart doesn't just lie, it tricks you to lead you astray. But that's actually good news. Because once you know you are powerless to fix your heart, once you know that you can't trust your heart, you, can no, lo you no longer have to be slaves to your heart. When you know you can't trust it, you can ignore its deceit, and you can evaluate the path that you're heading down. Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is, you can't trust your heart. The truth is, there are better decision-making strategies than just letting your heart be your guide. The truth is, if you let it, your heart will direct you down a path to a destination that you never wanted to go. You know the old saying, follow your heart. 
It's the worst advice in the world because your heart will lead you down a wrong path. So how do we make sure that we're not following our heart? How do we make sure that we're choosing prudence over happiness? If there is a man that we could trust, that could trust his own ability to choose the right path, it was King Solomon. Of course, we all know the story. King Solomon is known as the wisest man in the Bible. He wrote three books of the Bible, and each one of them are wisdom literature. He wrote Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, all three wisdom literature. In those books, Solomon showed incredible insight and wisdom into the realms of science and finance and marriage and child rearing and, and justice. and every area of life, Solomon showed incredible wisdom and insight. But Solomon was wise enough and he was smart enough to know he would never choose the right path on his own. He was wise enough to know if I trust my heart, it's going to lead me somewhere I don't want to go. He knew wisdom and information alone were not enough. See, wisdom and information don't guarantee anything. He knew better than to trust his own wisdom and his own heart, and he gives that advice to those who are wise enough to listen. So how does Solomon say that we can find the right path? Number one, he says, trust God with your heart. Again, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's, that's pretty straightforward advice Solomon gives. Solomon says, don't trust your heart. Trust God with your heart. The word trust there is the Hebrew word batak. It gives the idea of lying face down helpless, completely surrendered, vulnerable, dependent, He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Be vulnerable with God. Be dependent on God. But then he counters that. He contrasts that from the second part. says, lean not to thine understanding. Lean not, as in don't prop yourself up. It means to prop something up against something else, to be supported by it. So he says, be vulnerable, be dependent. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't prop yourself up with your own understanding. Don't prop yourself up and say, I think I can make the right decision on my own. The imagery associated with lean gives us further insight into what he meant by trust in the first half. Solomon was instructing us to lean on the heart of the Lord rather than to lean on our own heart. He's saying you trust God's heart because yours is going to lead you astray. When the way we view things conflicts with the way God views things, we're to lean in his direction instead of our own. When what makes sense to us doesn't line up with his revealed will, we're to side with him and ignore the whispers of our heart. We choose our paths according to how they feel and look to us. Solomon is saying that in spite, of, in spite of all that we know, in spite of everything that we have experienced, don't make the mistake of thinking you're old enough, you're wise enough, or you're careful enough to lean on to trust your own heart. It comes down to a word we don't like. Submission. Now I know we talk about submission, all the wives get, oh, he's going to, no, I'm not, t- no. I'm not talking about why, I'm talking about every single believer submitting 
their will, their desires, what they want to God. Saying, God, this is the path I want to take, but what I want to do doesn't matter, God. I'm going to submit to what you want me to do. It is placing your heart's desires aside to trust in God's heart. See, leaning on your own understanding, it'll lead you down a path that you never planned to be on. Trust God's heart. Don't lean on your own. But then he says something else. Not only we should trust God with our heart, submit to God in every area. Look at verse number three. I'm sorry, verse number six. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Notice he didn't say, in some of your ways, acknowledge him. He didn't say, in the ways you don't really care about, acknowledge him. In the ways that you really, you're not so concerned with, the ways that you, you could do whatever, you can acknowledge God in those areas, but the ways that you really care about, you do your own thing. No, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. All means all. He left no wiggle room for us. He didn't say you can pick and choose the ways you want to lean on God. In the way we run our finances, acknowledge him. In the way we rear our children, acknowledge him. And look, there's a lot of great advice out there. You know, of course, you, you young parents know everyone has the best advice in the world about what you should do with your baby. You should wrap them this away, feed them this, hold them this away. Do all, you know what? Lean on, in, in your way you raise your children, trust God. Well, the Bible says something about raising kids. Yeah, it does. In the way you run your marriage, acknowledge him. In the way you date, acknowledge him. In the entertainment you choose for life, acknowledge him. In the way you run your morality, acknowledge him. And how you handle yourself at work, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He didn't just say, hey, acknowledge him on Sunday. Acknowledge him when you're reading your Bible. Acknowledge him when you pray over your meal. In all your ways, in every area of life, we're to acknowledge God. So what does that mean? When we hear the word acknowledge, we think of someone who, they receive an award and they're like, I would like to acknowledge my parents for all they did for me and acknowledge my, my agent for getting me these best deals. And, you know, it's like recognizing someone and what they did for you. And, we've, and what Solomon, when Solomon used it, he meant to recognize who God is, and respond based on who he is. He is telling us to have the proper response to God in every area of our life, and that response is submission. That response is, God, this is what I think I should do, but this is what your word says to do, so I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust God with every decision in every area of our life. We are to recognize God's authority in every area of our lives. We are to seek and submit to his will in every area of our lives. In all our ways, we're to submit to his will, to his heart, and not ours. But Solomon gives an incredible promise if we do this. He says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, 
and he shall direct thy paths. There's our word, path. As we trust God's heart, as we submit to his will, he makes the path we should take obvious. As we follow him and submit to him, the path that God wants us to take becomes obvious. If we trust him with all our hearts, if we refuse to lean on our limited understanding, if we submit to every aspect of our lives to him, the best path will become unmistakably clear. So here's the truth we're trying to drive home this morning. Divine direction begins with unconditional submission. Divine direction begins with unconditional submission. You will never find the path God wants you to be on if you're not willing to submit to him in every area of your life. If we're not willing to acknowledge his right to rule our lives, if we do that in exchange, God says he'll make our path clear. Now this is incredible advice from the wisest man to ever live. Unfortunately, Solomon didn't always follow his own advice. When God had formed Israel, he forbade Israel from marrying other nations. Now, he wasn't talking about uh, a mixed marriage or interracial marriage or anything like that. He was concerned that if Israel would, would marry into other nations and those other nations would turn their heart away from God and would steal their affection away from God and they would start worshiping other gods. And it happened all the time, so it's not like God didn't know. He knew, hey, if you do this, it's going to be bad. So he said, hey, let's just stop all the trouble that's going to happen. Nobody in Israel marries someone from another nation, and this included the king. Now, kings during this time, they very often married people from other nations because they were trying to have peace treaties and trying to get trade agreements. And trying to... So Solomon stood at the fork in the road as he became king. I can obey God, and I can not marry into those other nations, or I can do what makes sense to me and sense to the nation, and I can do what I want to do, and I can intermarry. So he did. He married Pharaoh's daughter. And then another nation, and another nation, and another nation. Until he had 700 wives that he married from all these kingdoms and nations and towns. And he intermarried. But he didn't do it for wicked purposes. He did it because he wanted to help Israel and keep Israel safe. And man, as he did these things, Israel became to the, the highest time it ever did. He led in the golden age of Israel and built a temple of incredible wealth and incredible prosperity. But he chose a path that would make him happy now instead of the path that God wanted to. So he wanted to go down a path of wisdom and obeying and honoring God, but he ended up going somewhere else. Look what the Bible says about him in 1 Kings. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Doesn't mean they were weird, it means foreign. Like he loved many strange women. Oh, Solomon's, maybe we got the same taste in women. Solomon loved many strange women together with daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you. So he said, He married all these nations that God said, Don't marry them. And here's why God said, Don't marry them. For surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon claved these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. 
and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. What is David known for? When you think of David, you think of either two things, David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba. Most of us think of David and Bathsheba. David made some big mistakes. David paid for those mistakes. He had his son die. He had his other children rise up and rebel against him. Just turmoil and tragedy after tragedy. Because David, with David and Bathsheba, he was on the roof, wasn't where he was supposed to be, looking at a woman he shouldn't have been looking at. But his heart was perfect before God. And Solomon's, the wisest man to ever live, his wasn't. For Solomon went after Asheroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. So Solomon wanted to honor God and worship God and serve God and please God, but he made a choice one day. I'm going to choose what I want to do over what God says to do. And it led him down a path that at the end of his life, the Bible says his wives and their false gods turned his heart away from God. His decision to prioritize his relationship with foreign kings over his relationship with God cost him his relationship with God. If the wisdom, if the understanding, if the insight of a man like Solomon doesn't ensure he chooses the right path, why do we think we can? We are foolish to think that we can lean on our own limited insight and understanding and end up at the right path. Solomon's story serves as a warning to all of us. None of us are immune from taking the wrong path. So we have a choice to make. Will we surrender to the will of our Heavenly Father? Or will we lean on our insight, our understanding, and our heart? Every path has a destination. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. And divine direction begins with submission. Look, information is not enough. Insight's not enough. We need to completely, in every area, submit our heart to God's heart.